Welcome to Decapod, where every week we look at pop culture across the decades and we're currently trailblazing through the 1990s. And today we've got a very special episode as we dive into all things Steven Spielberg. Well, one of us dives into all things Steven Spielberg. But as always, it is not just me. I am joined by the ever mighty Emma Morgan. How are we doing, Emma? I'm good. I'm here to just provide funny anecdotes and maybe I'll find a way to sing at some point. And um, out of the six Steven Spielberg films that we are covering today, how many have you watched? This week or ever? Ever. Ever. Uh, one, two, three, three and a half. I think that might be a personal record. <laughs> but what I will say is um, looking at the... It's, it's, I know that you had a different take on this, so I'm going to kind of throw my take out there first and I'll let you come at it. But... When you look at these films, it's like for nineteen, uh, so for the nineties, for a director, you got Hook, then you've got Jurassic Park. Schli- there you go, Schindler's List, not Schlinder. Schindler. I'm going to have some fun today. Schindler's List, <laughs> The Lost World, Amistad, and Saving Private Ryan. I mean, almost forget what you think of the films individually. Mm. That collection, that's an epic collection to have to your name in a decade. And some of these yeah. films were released on the same year. So Hook and Jurassic Park, and Shin- oh, no, sorry, Hook was 91. Um, Jurassic Park and Shin- oh. the, <laughs> the war one, the first war one, was were both 93. And The Lost World and Amistad were both 97. And they're the ones who directed, so we'll, we'll cover them in a bit more. We'll cover some of them in more detail and then we'll touch on some of the films they produced as well. But no, I just look at them and I think, what a what an impressive resume. It is. And it's like you said, that's only one decade. He's yeah. got he's got shit going on in the 80s, the 70s, and the noughties. And it's just like it's only one decade of his work. And it's his best film's not even in there. Yeah. What's that? Jaws. Okay. Jewel isn't even. Oh, just, oh, I'm gonna have some fun doing Spielberg across the decades. And um, none of the indies. None of the yeah, Indiana Jones, Jewel, uh, ET's not in there. Um, oh, I hate ET. Yeah, I know, but it's still a, a massive film. Is what e- I'm meaning. ET is the number one film of um, my birthday when I was born. It really annoys me. Why does E.T. Oh, we're getting off topic here already, but but why does E.T. annoy you? It's too long. Go All on. of Steven Spielberg's films are too long. Oh, you missed it. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> that one in particular, that's aimed at kids. It's like three hours. Ridiculous. I'm not 100% sure it is aimed at kids, you know. No, maybe that's a problem. And I tried to watch it as a child. Um, don't like it. I think it's boring. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's not for this decade, is it? So it doesn't matter. No, but I haven't looked any other decades. I've just pulled it up now while we're speaking. Jeepers, Back to the Future. Um, oh, hold on, I'm looking at his producers. Not the one they did as a, di- as a, a director. Oh, there you go. So yeah, Jaws, Indiana Jones, uh, E.T., Minority Report, The Terminal. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. War Horse, the BFG, Jewel, Twilight Zone. There's some crackers. There is. 
anyway, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about the ones from the 1990s. So the first film from the 90s that he released was Hook. Uh-huh. I'm probably going to make the suggestion that we don't dive into Hook too much. We've spoke about that quite a lot. Uh, so you can go back and check the episodes on Julia Roberts and on Robin Williams and even the episode of 1991 where we spoke about it there. Um, but suffice to say, one of the greatest films of all time and easily a 10 out of 10 for me, I think. Yes, and also for me, and it still blows my mind, I think I made this joke before, but it always gets panned. <laughs> You Steve. went dead behind your eyes then. Yeah, I mean, I just can't believe you did it again. <laughs> like, I think you'll get the same reaction every time. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll gloss over Hook. As I said, we have spoken about that a lot already, but definitely uh, a Julia Roberts film. Anyway, uh, Jurassic oh, Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so then, just for that, I'm just going to... Uh, did I ask this question before? Do you know who Glenn Close plays in that film? I don't know who Glenn Close is. Um, she's the the bunny boy there from Fatal Attraction, right? Um, or Corella Deville. Um, no. no, well, it's not going to have. There's there's a really cool cameo of Glenn Close. She's one of the pirates. She's the pirate that gets put in the boo box. Okay, the boob the boo box. <laughs> That's the boo box. And then you go to the boo. I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> I thought you'd be excited. I don't know what the feeling. I just feel confusion. I well, okay. Sorry. Bill Collins okay. is in it as well. More hook trivia, but either way, let's move on to uh, Stephen. I keep saying Stephen King. Let's <laughs> as often I am referring to Steven Spielberg throughout this film. Every time I say Stephen King, I am meaning to say Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Um, so let's move on to his second film. I'll just call him his. His, yeah. he, and him. Yeah. Uh, his second film of the 90s, which was Jurassic Park 1993. Now, what I will say before we start talking is uh, this was one of the polls we put up in our group. Uh, over on our Facebook group, we've been giving uh, the members over there a chance to vote for what show they want us to do. And when they voted for Steven Spielberg, I was particularly excited so that we could do a bit of a deep dive into Jurassic Park. Uh, is this one of the films you have seen? Yeah. This was the one, that, if I remember rightly, that uh, your dad made you jump at because he threw a pillow at you at a certain point. That's exactly it. And I think that's why I don't particularly like it. Um, it's too shouty um, for me. Um, but um, I'm going to let you talk about it. But then at one point, I want to do my Jeff Goldblum impression, please. When you do your Jeff Goldblum impression, is that going to involve you unbuttoning your shirt and lying down in some sort of sexy fashion with the world's sexiest hands? No. Oh, because uh, that's what Jeff Goldblum does. Also, yeah. how do you pronounce his name? Because I've heard about seven different pronunciations. I just say it really quickly. And <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Right. Call him Big Jeff. We'll yeah. go for that. Um, the first thing I'm going to say about this film, because we had a discussion recently about Sam Neill and Harrison Ford. I'm going to take that a step further. I'm going to take it a step further and say that Laura Dean, or Laura Dern even, Sam Neill and Big Jeff is a better trio oh God. Don't. than Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford oh, and Mark Hamill. Fucking hell. Fucking uh, <laughs> hell. <laughs> Oh, God. 
That noise then you did sounded a bit like a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that one. I don't think I've ever been this. I mean, we were talking earlier about I've got a rage problem. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can make statements like that. I don't have the energy. I don't just because I'm not trying to sort of tell you why you're so so wrong. Anyway, um... no. <laughs> I've lost the power of speech. I'm that angry with you right now. It's fine. That's why we're going into it. So those three are phenomenal in this film. And you know my thoughts on Sam Neill. I think that whatever Sam Neill touches is just gut turns to gold. I think he's an amazing actor. Uh, so I don't need to talk about him too much. But Jeff Goldblum, I think he's a, a bit like Sam Neill. And I think he's one of the most underrated actors around uh, and an incredibly sexy human being. He's one of those blokes that I look at and I think, it's not attractive, but it's sexy. It's very weird. And there's a bit in this film, I mentioned it before, I think it's like when he's fallen over or something, and he's getting some medical done to his knee, and he's just led there randomly with his shirt open in this kind of old, what do they call it? You know, um, Hugh Hefner, Playboy, Playboy pose, uh, like the women used to do. He's just led them like, why has he got his shirt undone? She's working on his leg. And he's just stood there like that. Anyway, and then there's Laura Dern, who I think is one of the most underrated actors also of all time, and she's ridiculously attractive in herself. And there's that scene where he's trying to explain chaos theory to her. Now, I can't explain chaos theory to anyone, but I actually think he butchers it himself by putting a drop of water on her hand and making it run. And it's just like the way he's putting his hand on hers, it's like porn. It's ridiculous to watch that. Okay. I've come off topic slightly. I was supposed to say how much I liked them, but yeah. Um, but no, I think that those three are brilliant in this film. And obviously I am a huge Star Wars fan uh, and I love Carrie no, Fisher, not. Harrison Ford and Mark no, Hamill. And I think I'm saying it slightly tongue in cheek when I say that they are um, a, a better trio than those three. Um, what I would genuinely have liked to have seen is I would have liked to have seen the that Jurassic Park trio in all three of the Jurassic Park films. Oh, thank God for that. I thought for one minute you were about to say, would you like to have seen them in the Star Wars films? And then I would have just gone, exit call. No, because I I don't think it would have worked in the same way I don't think that the the Harrison Ford and et al. would work in Jurassic Park. Et al. Yeah, I couldn't have seen all the names now. I've said even more words than I would have said if I'd said the names in the first place. Either way, I don't think they would have been interchangeable actors, but I would have loved to have seen all three of those in all three films to see the character them because and obviously we'll speak about Star Wars at some point for our no. pod, but um, no. why no? <laughs> I can't. You've I been... will talk about Star Wars at some point during Decapod. And a lot look, of finding that... someone that wants to host that with you after what you've said in this episode. And the character development across those three across the films I think is what makes a film in a lot of ways but, and I would have loved to have seen where these characters went um, unfortunately we don't see that I'm absolutely livid like I've never known an anger like this and my goodness can I do my Jeff Goldblum impression and it might break me out of this absolute rage trance so the only bit that I really like is when he's on the plane and he does that really weird laugh and it gets shared as a clip all the time where he does that thing, he like looks over and he kind of goes, ha ha. (laughs) 
I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, now we're on a similar page. Um, but I'm yeah, going to tell Robin. Tell him what? Si- I'm going to tell Robin what you've said. Fair enough. Uh, we'll put up as a poll, which is a better trio, and we'll watch me get trounced for that. No, I think I take it back slightly in that, um, mm-hmm. like I said, I would have liked to have seen that trio do all three. I would have loved to have seen where that trio went. I appreciate that we didn't, so either way. But, uh, I mean, it's just, I absolutely adore Jurassic Park. I think that the, the film... It's a perfect film. I've kind of mentioned this before in my opinion on perfect films, and, and I, I think it ticks every box. I don't think there's anything for me that I can find fault with in this film. I think right from the start, it it's just played beautifully. Everything's kind of, you know, the the fact that you've got that lawyer there because the start of the film is the someone getting eaten by, I think it's a velociraptor. And it starts off with a, a lawyer being there doing safety checks, and it's just, everything's just tied up nicely as the film goes along. And if you haven't seen Jurassic Park, there's going to be a few spoils in this bit, but you know, go back and watch it, whatever. But I, I just find the whole film just perfect throughout, even the bits that verge or border on silly still work. So where they've got the the, the triceratops. I think it's a triceratops that's that's legged out and it looks poorly and there's a massive mound of triceratops dung. And it's like, if it's done wrong, it's stupid. But it's not. It it works. And there's a bit where, the I forget his name, the kid's climbing up the fence and then they're switching on the the power for everywhere. And and yes, obviously the the fence power button is the one at the bottom to build up tension, but it still works. It doesn't feel like it's, it's... played that way and then the the power comes on and the kids counting down for free and then just as he says free he shoots off and again done wrong it's silly and stupid but i think it's done perfectly you i, I just think that everything about the film is beautiful it's got some amazing i mean the effects on it i think still stand up to this day when you watch it now it's like those long range shots are all done with uh, sort of CGI, and because of long range, I think they get away with it. Obviously, the close up ones are practical effects, and and even there, but that triceratops I mentioned, you watch that. Yes, I suppose if you get him with a on watch on HD or ultra HD or whatever, and get him on microscope, you can probably see and tell. But I think, it, especially for ninety three, was amazing. Um, you've got some tremendous horror scenes in there. That, that I still stand by this. Uh, it's clearly not a horror film, but you've you've got that scene with the two kids in the kitchen and the velociraptors. That's one of the greatest horror scenes of all time. I crap myself watching that. Well, um, actually, I've been jotting a couple of things down and I know for a fact his intention when he made Jurassic Park was to make a horror film that would only have a PG certificate. He wanted to make a blockbuster but with horror elements in it. And I actually agree with that. And I'd also pull out another, which I actually think is more pure horror, and that's the bit with the cup of water and just seeing it. That, that's scary. And that's where he's good, and he did this with Jaws. There's nothing fucking scary on the screen. But you're you're scared because it's that, I know what's happening. I know what's happening. I know why that's, there's only one reason why that cup, that water's doing that. And that's such an iconic piece of cinema now, like the amount of parodies that we've done about it. So we're all, I'm on the same page with you. I do, I do think it's, it's a family horror. Yeah. And I think uh, this is where Spielberg, I think is, is, is awesome because he doesn't necessarily worry about the facts too much. Because I think most of the dinosaurs there weren't from the Jurassic Age. 
I don't know what age they were from. So when you actually break yeah. the film down, it shouldn't be called Jurassic Park. But it's like, you know, I'm sticking with that. I know that was the, the book and whatnot, but it's like I'm sticking with that because it sounds better than than this or whatever. And it doesn't let the facts interfere with a good film and and not to ignore them, but I, I don't know. It's just all the way through that, that scene where they're in the kitchen with the lost raps and it goes on. And even when the T-Rex comes in, when you first watch that, you it's as if the T-Rex had just appeared from nowhere because your eyes are focused yeah. on this Velociraptor. But when you rewatch it, you can see the T-Rex come in the door. Yeah. But And I think that's the sign of good filmmaking. He's not ignored the fact you need to see where it comes from, but that's not what matters. And I think that that's what I mean. But it closes all them circles off. And you look at the cast in here. I mean, I mentioned them three, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum. But you've also got like Samuel Jackson in it. Yeah, um, so I think that's hilarious that he's just there as the chain-smoking computer guy. And not a single motherfucker. Not a single motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. It's a PG. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would have loved to sing like an 18 version of this film. <laughs> it would be brilliant. But no, I agree with the glass thing as well. It is it's terrifying. I mean, not so much from the viewer's perspective, but if you're putting yourself in the actor's, not the actor's, but the character's perspective, yeah. that must be like... And then, in fact, just on that, that you've got the scene there where and uh, I only noticed this upon rewatch, admittedly, and I've seen this one a few times, but it was only the recent one when I noticed this. When the guy runs off to the, the portable toilet, I yeah. always thought he was actually taking a dump. <laughs> but he's not. He's just got shorts on, so it looks like he's got his trousers down. But it's like that scene in itself, that that still looks like he's a Tyrannosaurus Rex is yeah. eating a man. It's it's like, the, that's the lawyer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the lawyer called Bruce in it? I can't remember. Because if it would, it would be such a cool tie into Jaws because they called the they called the shark in Jaws Bruce because that was the name of the film's lawyer. So I would love that if they also called that. And I think that might be why that might be Pixar's in Finding Nemo. The shark in that's called Bruce. So I just like stuff like that. That's all I've got to give you at the minute is pointless <laughs> trivia. Um, I also love the kids in it. I think that they're yeah. annoying little fuckers, but they kind of need to be. And yeah. again, I love the way that um, Sam Neill's character comes around to him towards the end. And that's the to me, well, that's one of my highlights of the film. That bit where they, I think they fall asleep in the tree, and then when they wake up, there's I want to say a bronchiosaurus, but I'm not up on my dinosaurs. And then it sneezes on last. I can yeah. remember being in the cinema and people just bursting out laughing at that one, um, that scene. And then also the scene I mentioned where the kids get electrocuted. Um, I don't know why we laughed at that because he was unconscious <laughs> and had to get CPR. But I remember the cinema sort of really laughing at that one. I can't and, believe you saw it at the cinema. Yeah. I would have shat myself if I saw that at the cinema. At our age, we were only 10. I, I can remember my dad took, I think my dad took me. But yeah, it was um sorry at cinema first time. I it's one of them there's there's maybe I don't know, no more than a dozen films I go back to and watch repeatedly, like over and over again. And I could watch this film just on loop almost. I think it's one of those you spot new stuff every time. I just think the acting in it is phenomenal. I think that all the the actors are great. I think that the story is perfect from start to finish. Um, I, I made some notes down here as well because I thought that talking about Steven Spielberg, it's it's only, especially with the quality of film we've got here, it, it's only right that we mentioned some of the uh, the the Oscar stuff that went mm-hmm. through. So so Hook got no Oscars, 
It was nominated mm-hmm. for a couple. It got no Oscars. Um, Jurassic Park got three Oscars. Didn't get best film, but it got best it's sound effects. Uh, yes, best visual effects, best sound, and I don't know what this is, but best sound effects editing. Great. I mean, I get out of a decapod sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was also at the time it became the highest grossing film ever, and it stayed that way until the Titanic came out, which I think mm-hmm. was ninety-seven. So it was huge. It's something like nine hundred million, pretty much straight away. Yeah, that's the only thing that I. It makes me not. I completely agree, right? I've got nothing against the film. I, I don't tend to like loud. <laughs> it's like it's too loud. Dinosaurs, shush. I just get a little bit icked out by. There's also the merchandise side, and that was always part of almost. This wasn't just a film; it was a business proposal, and I don't know. Um, was that? I get it. Because it is a bit off-putting when you look at something like sort of from a purely film standpoint, but you've got to produce a good film to get the merchandise yeah, anyway. That's true. And uh, as much as they have that in back of their mind, they're gonna want like especially I suppose directors like Spielberg, it's gonna to want to produce the best film it possibly can. And I don't think you could create a better film. Dinosaur, maybe with the exception of Tammy and the T Rex, but I don't think you could create a better dinosaur film than Jurassic Park. I don't think this yeah. film could be done better. Um, we've both done Universal Studios tour, haven't we? Um, I didn't do the tour, but we did. I did visit it. Uh, you would have really liked the tour. <laughs> There's a bit in it that you would have really liked. There's oh, two I'll bits not. in it. I'll go next weekend. Did you go on the log flume? No. That's Jurassic it, it, Park. I seem to remember it was one of the days where the uh, the stepson wasn't having the oh. most cooperative of days. You need to go. You need to go back. Um, although, oh, although I think the yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely you need to go back. I think it's still Jurassic Park themed. The log flume, um, and yeah, the tour. There's two Spielberg films that you'd be like, eh. it's uh, it's the only kid I've ever known that got bored at Disneyland. I'm with him on Disneyland. I think Disneyland's quite boring, but Universal, I would, I would go every year if I could afford to, and it was in this country. I'll make a note. Uh, the only other thing I, I kind of want to touch on with uh, Jurassic Park is just the phrase that I have used eternally since. I've never used it on you because pure fear of ramifications, but just the uh, clever girl. What yeah. he says to the Velociraptor, and it's like, that's stuck. I've used that on countless people and been abused several times, but it's just a just that it's just that phrase in that context in that situation. It's like, I forget the bloody character's name now, but it's the the hunter dude, the guy that's in charge of it all. Yeah, and he's like, it's almost as if he's got yeah, I understand. That. I'm gonna make it now. You've out you've out fox me, clever girl, and it's just great. But Jeff Goldblum, why is he on put on his shirt when he's getting his knee fixed? <laughs> And just sits so like a seventies porn style. Like, he's uh, bronzed, isn't he? Ridiculous human being. Uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Massively underrated. All of them are underrated. Either way, that was <laughs> Jurassic Park. Anything to, else to add to Jurassic Park? <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's my Jeff Goldblum impression. Oh right, okay. I thought it was you biting your tongue. <laughs> that looked more like a dinosaur. <laughs> 
Well, let's do dinosaur impressions. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a better audio than the silence you were just doing. The visual impression you were just doing. I don't think I can do dinosaur impressions. I, I don't really know do, what they sound like. I'll do one and see if you can guess uh, which dinosaur it is from the film, okay? And it's got like a visual thing with it as well. So what about this one? I think I know no, what um, you mean, but I can't remember what it's called. It's the one that kills uh, the, the bloke, isn't it? Yeah. Is it yeah, a, something okay. beginning with D? I don't know what it's called. It's that, well, how am that... I supposed to guess what it is? <laughs> guess what this is. I don't know what it's called. You just had to know which part of the film it was in, and you did. Right. It was. It's a, it's a teeny tiny one. And a... There you go. Anyway, so uh, Steven, uh, there you go. Steven Spielberg's 90s started off with Hook, which for me was a 10 out of 10 film. Uh, Jurassic Park, which for me was a 10 out of 10 film. And next up on the list, also from 1993, was, uh, oh, God, I've got to try and say this again, Schindler's List. Well done. Which for me was also a 10 out of 10 film. Uh-huh. Now, I'd seen this film previously. I did re-watch it for the, uh, for the podcast because it's been a good few years and it's it's a bit of a, an epic. It's about three and a half hours long. So I thought I needed to revisit it. I know you started watching this for the first time, so I'm going to throw over you to kick off at this one. Yeah, so I want to make it really clear. So I had I abandoned this film about halfway through, but I want to make it really clear, not because I thought it was a rubbish film. On the contrary, I think it's a stunningly shot film. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I wish I'd seen it when it came, maybe not when it came out, but when I was in my teenage years and I was really far removed from emotion and things like that. Um, and without getting to sort of current affairs, I had two major problems with it. One is it's a bit close to the knuckle with certain world events that are happening right now. And I've, I don't want to go off on that tangent because we try to keep that kind of chatter down for this, but it made me really uncomfortable to watch from that point of view. Um, and this is going to sound ridiculous. But it was just the way it, this shows what a good film it is, actually. I just couldn't bear watching how coldly mean that they were to people. Now, that is fact. I did, I was thinking about this. Uh, I did GCSE history, where you do World War II. I then had an extra dose of it because I did A level history as well, and you cover it at that, right? So, I'm not naive, like I know what happened, but I think there's something really different to sort of reading it in a textbook and then actually the way he'd like put it onto screen, I just thought was so good that it was just too much for me. And the bit where I was like, I can't, I just can't do it was the, and I, I bet it is about halfway through. It's when they start to really ramp up, like they were, it was when they were looking at who was healthy who wasn't dividing them up like that. And there's all the kids uh, in the trucks and the singing and then they're like driving them off and all the kids are crying. And I was like, I can't do that because I wish I wasn't watching this for the first time as a mother because it's a different watch. And I think it's that other thing of take like being a mother out of it. By the time you get to our age, you've deeply loved somebody. You've got that stronger sense of emotion for people I think so I wish I'd watched it when I was a cold-hearted bitch when I was about 17 would have still got the seriousness of it and would have made it to the end of the film and um, I also was under the impression he was a much nicer person 
than he actually is in it. So it also threw me a little bit that he wasn't overly nice. I know he had, I know he had power, but I thought he was a nice person that was kind of like, I want to save people for nice reasons, not I want to save him because he runs my factory. Um. All right. Okay. So I agree with pretty much everything you've said there. Uh, I'm going to kind of touch on the last thing you said, because I think possibly that's where you need to watch the whole film a little bit, because my take on it and, and sort of reading a little bit around it is that he's not saving them because he wants to, because he runs a factory, he's using running the factory as an excuse to save him. Right. It, it's the other way around. Um, because as the film progresses, he's trying to save more and more people. I mean, there's a scene, I don't know if you saw this one, where there's a young girl goes and tries to get her parents to work in the factory. And she's going, I've heard that this is like a haven. This is a yes, safe I place. Did, yeah. Did yeah. It, but yeah. And I think that probably sums up because at first he's immediately thinking, oh, this is how I interpret it. He's immediately thinking, oh, crap, I'm going to get caught. If my mm. reputation is now that this is a safe place, safe house, I'm going to get screwed for this and kind of kicked her out. And then he caved and, and told someone to go and let, let these people mm. in. So I think that he probably was a bit cold-hide, but you can see that as he sees more of what's going on firsthand, that's when he starts to realise, oh. Uh, okay. And I, I think that's the thing with... with oh, God, I'm trying really hard as well not to be political or current. I think it's too current to talk about stuff. I'm not the person to discuss this, but I think that sometimes the problem with with stuff is that with stuff, there you go, nice and articulate. With stuff like this, is that because it's the other side of the world, or even just a different country, or because you're not seeing it and you can turn the TV off, it's it's easy not to feel the empathy. But I think that that's what he's seen because he's not seen it first hand. He's not feeling empathy at first. He looks at it purely as a business venture. Then he starts to see more of what's going on. It's like this isn't right. You know, there's there's a scene and I, this was around about the one that where you stopped watching. So it might have been before. Did you see where they were horsing down the the trains? Yeah. Right. I think that's a good sign of it as well because at that point he's got nothing to do with those people. So, well, like, all the, the, the Jews, basically, that were in the train carts being shipped off, they had nothing to do with him, but he's still getting them to hose them down to try and cool them down and give them liquid and stuff, and then giving them, like, not bottles of water, I don't know what he gave them, but some, some containers of water to yeah. say, when you stop, give them this. And I think that that was, that was him, like I say, going from a bit cold-hearted because he's not seen it, to then seeing it and realising, I've got to fix this. And, you know, even right at the end of the film, I think the, the bit that gets me weirdly is seeing him break down when it, it saves something like 900, 900 Jews. And he's breaking down. I was like, I should have saved more. Yeah. And I realised that I'm almost sympathising with the, and this is what he says at the end, he says, I'm, I'm a Nazi. You know, I'm the yeah. bad guy. You guys are now the good guys. I'm the bad guy. And so... But the thing, but that I feel that'd be the only thing I'd add on to what you were saying there. But it's like I agree what you were saying that my first knot on air is, you know, the horrors of war. It, it, it shows that without, you know, the actual battle, it shows the horrors of war and how it affects or how it affected civilian people or, or Jewish people at, at that time. And it is really, really unpleasant to watch. 
And, you know, there's times where when I watch that film and, you know, I watched it all in one sitting, but there's times where I watch that film when I'm looking to the side of the TV rather than yeah. at the TV. And for me, I think the way that, that I work with stuff like this, I think this goes to, to horror films as well, actually. It's when it's happening to a lot of people, so when I'm seeing the, the you know, the, the trains full of Jews that are being shipped off to Auschwitz, um, weirdly, I can deal with that. Even though it's hundreds and thousands of people, I can deal with that. But when I'm seeing one person being attacked, that's that's when it bothers me. I think that I feel the emotion more there. So there were, there were times then, but it was just... The film itself is... And I, I fully get what you're saying, by the way, but I understand why anyone would, wouldn't watch all of this film. I get it. Um, it it's a masterpiece of filmmaking. You know, it's 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 absolute... It's a, I don't know, I want to use the word a beautiful film because it's made that way. You know, it pulls no punches. It absolutely depicts certain people in certain ways. And I think it is, the way it depicts them is is perfect for the film. It feels like this one where, this is a film where he hasn't ignored fact. Yeah. He has actually stuck to facts. And that's what I would say is he, you, you have to make, if you're going to make that film, you have to, out of respect for the people that are the subject in that film, you have to make the right film that's accurate in its depiction. And that's why we wanted to make it clear that I think it's a really important film. Really, but actually, I'm really surprised we didn't get, is it, oh, it's, is, is it an 18? I can't remember. Like I just can't think of any other reason other than that, why they wouldn't make you watch it for GCSE other than it's, the it, its certificate because like everybody did the history trip where you go to visit all the Jewish graves it's not like you were protected from it from that part of the story it's such it's it is that, that part of the story so um yeah uh, and I think I will now we've spoken about it a bit I will I will go and finish it and just to take it on a slightly different one though isn't it like an absolute mind fuck though that went from dinosaurs <laughs> to Schindler's List and well, it's like they're both good in their own way but did he get did you get the Oscar for this did you get best director it did indeed yeah um but yeah it, it, not just that though it goes Jurassic Park Schindler's List Jurassic Park The Lost World <laughs> it's sandwiched <laughs> between the dinosaurs but I think the only other thing I want to kind of touch on with this film um, although actually I'm going to say I wholeheartedly agree I think that there's some films that should be shown to everyone at school and you know not just because of historical context but I think that media should be a bigger part of school mm. it's a massive part of life but anyway that's another tangent it's a bonus episode somewhere um, but yeah I think that um, shit, what was I going to say oh, uh, so We'll, we'll get on to the, the other film I missed I'd shot in a little bit and I can make a bit more of a comparison when we get on to that. But uh, there's a there's times watching this film where I'm just, and it never does, but I'm concerned it's going to play Schindler too much as a hero yeah. and downplay everything else. And I don't think it crosses that line. I think Liam Neeson does a, a phenomenal job in the acting role of, of not, and I think it's like you said, it's not all 
kindness and loving. He is a member of the Nazi party. He starts off as a member of the Nazi party. It's when he sees the stuff that people are going through. It's not because he loves Jew, Jewish people. Mm. It's because he sees what they're going through and just empathises with that. So I think it plays it well that it's not just like this man is only good. I think they do play that well, but I think that, like you said, it comes out more in the, the second half and doesn't quite display as much in the first. Uh, and I, I'll just share what I messaged you when I was watching. Before, I kind of was like, I can't watch this anymore. I was like quite upbeat. Um, I messaged you going, I've been looking at this character, and going, who is she? And, she? and I was like, oh, it's the wife from Hook. And it was just really, I thought, oh, Spielberg, he does like his actors. He's, he kind of has his muses, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Oscars for this one, uh, it won seven. Uh, best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction. Wow. Um, You'd so, love to know who got Best Actor that year. I'm not looking it up. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> interesting, isn't it? Because, like, who's beat Liam Neeson? Well, I must admit there is a, a film further down that didn't get um, sort of film of the year, and I've noted down which film did get it that year. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get to uh, it. But uh, yeah, with this one, it's like you said, you look at, but you've got Hook, Jurassic Park, and then Schindler's List for his first three films of of um, of the 90s and completely different films. Now, I know Hook and Jurassic Park have probably got more in common than, than, than Schindler's List, but Hook is, to me, is just a, a playful film. It's fun. Yeah. It's a family film. Jurassic My child Park. Dies. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jurassic Park, you've got to be more careful with. As much as it is still a fun film, there's some horror in there. There's people getting eaten, and it's there's you know parts of thriller, part action. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. Then you've got this, which is is just you know for ninety seven percent of the film, wholly unpleasant to watch. Uh, but still, for me, those first three films 90, of the nineties are all ten out of tens for me. Yeah, and I would agree. Yeah, I'd agree with the scoring. But again, just just to clarify, I think this is the difference in films. Jurassic Park, I could watch three times a week. Schindler's List, I struggled to watch once a year. But yeah. you would still score the films as like being a star films. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, anything else on Schindler's List? No, okay. <laughs> there's a joke there somewhere, but let's not end on that because we've been really well behaved. Well, in which case, uh, let's talk about Jurassic Park, The Lost World, which was the next film. So uh, Schindler's List was in 93, then The Lost World was in 1997. Now, uh, The Lost World did not have um, Laura Dern or Sam Neill, but it did have the ever-attractive Jeff Goldblum and uh, equally attractive Julianne Moore. Uh, so for me, now this might be where I piss you off, but I actually think The Lost World is joke. It's just... It's like they kind of go, so Stevie kind of goes, we're going to do, we're going to do a dinosaur film. They're like, Stevie, you already did that. You did Jurassic Park. No, no, this one's completely different. It's dinosaurs, but the city. I think I actually agree with you. <laughs> I think that, you know, when you look at the films that he directs, it is, again, this is probably isn't the case. When you look at the films that he produces in or that his studio produces compares to the ones that he directs, it's like he goes, yeah, I'm directing that bad boy. 
this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a producer. Well, I'm just in case. And I'm genuinely surprised that he did this one. And I'll just go, this Jurassic Park is a masterpiece. You can direct this. I'll lift it. But, you know, it's one that he did. It's not a bad film by any stretch. It's not horrendous. But whereas the, for my opinion at least, Jurassic Park was just like a trailblazer, um, it's just an absolute masterpiece of filmmaking and what we said before, this just felt like, like you said, a joke for me, it just felt like it was fun. What would happen if we let a T-Rex loose in New York? Let's see. Let's find out. I think it all hinged on there's that shot, isn't there? Where is, does he put his head, does the T-Rex put their head into a building? It's a lot. I've only seen it when it first came out, so it's a long time since I've seen it. I feel like it puts its head into a building or something like that and has a sniff. Um, I can't remember that scene. The one that sticks out for me is it, it comes into someone's back garden because there's like a swimming pool and there's drinking from yeah. that and the kid goes and looks and then starts screaming and then when they look like the T-Rex is eating the dog. The T-Rex just walking away like a dog chain hanging from its mouth. And oh. I, I think that's the that's probably the difference between the films because I think in that first film, when the T I think it's the T-Rex eats the goat, mm-hmm. you almost feel a bit sad. It's I don't know that I don't know how they do it. I'm not a film director, obviously. I don't know how what they do different. But in that first one, it doesn't feel funny. But in the second one, when it's a dog, and I'm massive dog lover, it does feel funny. And I, I don't... bet it's the thing hanging out the mouth. Yeah. That's almost like a prop, isn't it? Yeah. But it, yeah, I think it, it was a. It, it's worth a watch. I think one of the best bit, the best bits of the film, and actually when it's in New York, for me, it's it's at the start of the film where they're they're hunting it. I think that's a, a really good scene. Um, got Vince Vaughn in there as well. Uh, and you've oh, got the geez. guy, yeah, you've got the guy there that's the hunter dude. I forgot his name, but the hunter dude, that's what we'll call him. Um, <laughs> that's like, I want to take down a T Rex. I've taken out every predator in the world. Now I can take down a T Rex. And so that was like a really good scene. I think. Does he get eaten? I think he does at the end. Yeah. Um, the, the stuff in New York just feels a bit nuts. And then at the end, there's a scene getting them in the boat, which is quite cool. That feels like it gets a bit more dramatic there. Yeah. So it, it was a good film, but yeah, nothing special. And, and you know, as, as much as I like Julianne Moore, she's no Laura Dern. <laughs> there you go. I don't think I've got an awful lot more to say about The Lost World, uh, other than that it won no Oscars. <laughs> good. Um, God, the travesty if it had won any. Mind you, 97, it's up against, it's up against uh, Titanic. Oh, there you go. But it did, um, and I think this is quite key to how, how good Jurassic Park was and then how this dipped. It had the biggest opening weekend ever in terms yeah, of numbers and then just the, dropped off, yeah. That happens with a lot with sequels. So a novice from my quizzing days is if they ever ask you biggest box office and it's of a franchise tend to go for number two because the hype from the first one, and I think it's like the hangover two or go for one of the sequels basically because the hype gets those early box office numbers, even if it's a shit film. Anything else on The Lost World? No. Okay. Then we come on to Amistad which uh, was 1997. Now, you haven't watched this one, have you? No, I was going to, but I think I just got set on a path. 
sister just kind of gave up and um so tell me what happens in amistad and see if it makes me want to watch it um it's another unpleasant film to watch uh-huh. i'll start off with that which isn't selling it to you uh, the cast in it is phenomenal morgan freeman Anthony hopkins matthew mcconaughey and i'm going to struggle with this one demon hunsel i'm going to go with that and if i butchered that name i apologize um but yeah, basically, there was a. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to use this word flippantly, much like I try. Uh, yes, I'm trying not to use this word flippantly, but you know, uh, there was a slave ship uh, back in 1839 that was called La Amistad that the uh, slaves managed to break free from and overpower the ship. And then they got back to America. I think it was going from Spain to somewhere, or Cuba to Spain, I can't remember now. Um, they got back to America. And the slaves, uh, the Africans, were basically put on trial to see who they belonged to. And and this is the, the, the key bit that bothered me a bit about this film. That, And I did really like it. Really, really liked the film. Borderline 10 out of 10, not quite. And I think for this reason, very much felt like celebrating the white man coming to the rescue. Mm. That that's how it felt to me. Uh, the the Matthew McConaughey character, Matthew McConaughey character, I say it. There you go. I'm struggling with names today. Uh, character basically, he swoops in, and it feels like that he's just being massively celebrated. And what I did in in getting them off, not again, it's not the right term, but getting their freedom. I can't believe you're laughing at that. <laughs> Um, what I did in gaining their freedom was was clearly impressive you know but it's celebrating that it's celebrating Mm. you know more too much of of the white dude that saves a day rather than the these Africans that have overpowered uh, on this ship and got their own freedom that way and I think that's the, the only problem with this film the film itself is is actually really good some phenomenal acting in it Again, it's really disturbing in the same way that Schindler's List is. And we hear a lot, or I hear a lot, or whatever, about the slave trade. And think about, you know, when it was. And I spoke before about the the war. It's happened in a different part of the country. It can almost turn a blind eye to it. I'm not seeing slavery. It doesn't, but then you see it on your screen like this, and they're all chained together by the neck. And that really impacted me watching it. It was like mm. human beings. Yeah. And the same way that the Jews weren't treated as human beings, there's a scene in, in Schindler's List where um, uh, one of them is talking about uh, to a Jewish girl and he's like, he's cracking onto her. And then eventually says, I can't because you're a Jew, you're effectively a rodent, not a human being. And that's how the Africans are treated here. And but I think that the decorum and the way that, that they present themselves is is amazing in the film. I think that they do do a really good job of presenting that. And this is just my opinion as, you know, random white dude. But I think that that's put across really well. Um, I think a bit too much emphasis is placed, like I said, on the, the, the white folk that have saved the day, you know, rather than, well, you're actually kind of doing it in the first place. But And again, I think that when I compare that one to Schindler, 
I think that's the difference. Schindler's never made out to be this this mm. paragon of virtue. He's just a, a human being that has flaws and has positives and tries to do the right thing in the end. And I think this is, you know, this this is the best. And but yeah, genuinely, really awesome film, all based on true events. There's there's a lot of um, uh, I don't know what the word is uh, liberty taken with some of the historical accuracies. Um, oh, hmm. I think that again, with it, you know, being the white man that saves the day, I think it's around that bit that's that's played up a little bit too much. Mm. But I, I would recommend the film. I think that if you can sit through Schindler's List, you could sit through this. And it is it's disturbing to watch. It is disturbing to watch, but I think it's one of them ones that you should. So yeah. that because I find that films they, they may not be completely representative, but they're often they're not as accurate as documentaries potentially or books, but they get you emotionally involved and can have a bigger effect on you that way because you yeah. get involved in it. And I would, so yeah, I would definitely recommend this film if uh, when you've when you've got a spare um, some emotions to spare. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Um, surprisingly, no Oscars for it, but as you said, it was the the Titanic year, uh, which dominated everything. Uh-huh. Uh, I will leave that there. I've kind of gone into a few spoilers, but nothing too specific. So you could get away watching it without really knowing that much. Any questions or anything on, on Amistad before I move off? No, but I think I will check it out. Okay. So the last one uh, I watched, or the last one he directed in the 90s, was Saving Private Ryan. And I believe you also haven't seen this one. No, I don't like war films. And I was, because we did talk about this episode and I was genuinely going to, I had those three on my list um, and I genuinely was going to watch it. But again, it just, I just didn't think I had it in me to sort of watch it. So no, I haven't. And again, I want people thinking that I think these, I just don't like war films. So it's a hard sell for me. I'm going to start off talking about this one then uh, with a, a sort of, abbreviated quote from uh, old Mr. King. It's not Spielberg, <laughs> Mr. Spielberg. Um, I'm doing a Stephen King. It'll be a long day's pleasant nights, but we won't. Uh, we'll do uh, Stephen Spielberg's and there's that's what we're talking about, which is he opted to replace sound military tactics and strictly... Cor- I'll start again. He opted to replace sound military tactics and strict historical accuracy for dramatic effect. Yeah. And I think he... You know, it's it's not throughout the film. It's not like he's he said it in Belgium when it's actually France. You know, but there's, there's certain things in there that he switched. I'm not a particularly big fan of this film. I, I'd watched it previously. I rewatched it. I think I enjoyed it more this time than when I watched it first time. I think it labours a lot in places unnecessarily. Yeah, I think it is a bit long. You probably could have knocked a good 30 or 40 minutes off this film, and I think it would have been better for it. And I realise that this is, you know, one of the sort of films that's regarded as the best war film ever, and it's in a lot of people's top 10 films of all time, and a lot of people regard it as Steven Spielberg's thing. But I think that I think there's a bit of pander in there sometimes, you know, when someone says it's the great film and then everyone else agrees with it. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a very good film. It is a very good film. If if you don't like war films, there's a lot of this that you could still watch. Mm-hmm. I think that the, for me, the start of the film is horrific. It's 
it it catches you out. And I will talk about this in spoiler fashion because it's the first, well, probably the first 40 minutes of the film, but it feels like the first five. Um, they're basically landing on, I think it's Normandy, uh, in France somewhere. And as soon as the sort of, I don't know what the word is, doors, I'm going to call them, drop on the boats, mm. they just open fire at, and there's people dying and being shot. And even before that, you can see the soldiers, some of them are praying, some of them are singing, some of them are, are start being sick because they're basically being sent to war. Yep. And it's that first section that that I've never been to war. You know, I've never been in the army. I've never been that way inclined. It's not something I've any great desire to do. That, to me, is is what I would almost imagine war to be like. And it's horrific to watch. It's horrific. And if you don't like war films, you know, skip past that bit because that's it's just unpleasant to watch. But what you get to see is um, bravery and, you know, triumph over, over adversity. And there is one thing that would get you through it because it got me through it which is the fact that um, two of the characters, uh, right from the start, um, Phoebe's brother from Friends. Yeah, I know he's in it, yeah. And uh, Chandler's roommate, the psycho one. <laughs> They're both in the same little, um, I don't know what I call them, vicinity, army group, whatever isn't, you call um, them. Isn't Phoebe's brother Private Ryan? No. Oh. That's Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you have them two kicking off and it it takes you out of it a bit. You're like, oh, that's <laughs> Oh, that's Chandler's naughty roommate. And then once you've seen that, it kind of makes you step back a little bit. <laughs> but but yeah, that first scene is is just amazing cinema. Absolutely amazing filmmaking. Um not not even the action side of it. The, 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 the acting, not the action, the acting side of it is is amazing at that point. You know, there's a, a scene there when something's happened and Tom Hanks' character is just, like, zoned out and they're shouting at him and you can see that he's just spaced. He's just completely gone. Then he regathers himself and start, And it's just, like, the way it's done is phenomenal. Um, they then obviously go on the mission to find Private Ryan and, and yeah, gets a bit long-winded there and it gets a bit, in my opinion... So, I mean, I was watching it in a couple of, I don't know, just to clarify, I'm not offering military expertise here, but there's a couple of times I'm thinking, why are you doing that? Mm. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. Why would you do that? And they never explain it. And then afterwards you realise, oh, dramatic effect. Do you know what I think we should do? I think we should get some actual army people in to come and chat to us. What a brilliant idea. Do you know any? Yeah. Okay, because we're not using any of the ones I know. <laughs> I just want to get some army guys on to flirt with. I'm going to be completely in case you didn't read into that. That um, yeah, my brain went a different way. Um, <laughs> that might be an episode where I'm not needed. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Emma and her gang. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I'm I'm not going to dive in too much in that. I'm not going to tell you whether they're fine, Private Ryan, or what happens if and when they're fine, Private Ryan. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a film that's worth a watch. I think even if you don't like war films, I think if you could get past that first half hour, actually, it doesn't feel quite so much like a war film. There is another war section at the end, but again, it doesn't feel the same way the start does. It's a bit more, I don't know, a bit more hide and seeky um, rather than full on blitz. 
Yeah. Maybe blitz is the wrong word. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, in terms of the Oscars, uh, um, best cinematography, best sound, best sound effects editing, best film I editing. I wonder if it's the same guy. <laughs> Maybe. Sound effects editing guys. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and best director again. So that was his second best director award for the nineties. It didn't win the best film. The best film award for nineteen ninety eight went to Shakespeare in Love. Oh fucking hell. Oh, I'm not the biggest fan of Save at Primary Ryan, but I would probably give that my vote for Oscar of, for Best Film of the Year because in that sort of film, I think it would deserve it. There's been some shenanigans. I, I, Shakespeare in Love's not that good. Never even seen it, not going to uh, lie. Rubbish. I've no desire to. No, not missing anything. Um, all right, there. All right, so that's Saving Private Ryan. Any questions or anything on Saving Private Ryan? No, I probably won't check it out, but um, there you go. Okay. Uh, I would advise, or not advise, I'd suggest you finish your list. list. Yeah. I would recommend Amistad. Um, and I am going to give my recommendations to anyone listening. For those films, I like to recommend one. I am going to say go and check out Check out Amistad. I'm going to say that because Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, well known. Because this is the other thing with Amistad. I'd never even heard of it. I'd never heard of that film until I was looking at Steven Spielberg films in the 90s. I'm like, what's this? I think I'd heard, I don't think I connected it with Steven Spielberg. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, same. I'm going to go with the same and I, I will join the listeners in checking it out. That's the first time we've ever agreed on a recommendation, I think. That's because I've not seen that many yeah. of them. <laughs> and, it, and it's... I can't keep saying hook. <laughs> yeah, and you're recommending one you haven't seen. Anyway, that's all his, all his, uh, his film as a director. Any, thought, any final thoughts on Stephen King as a director in the 90s? I don't know. I mean, not on Stephen King as a director, but Steven Spielberg, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's probably the easiest name I've had to say throughout the this episode, and I've said it wrong more than anything else. I did warn you at the start. <laughs> um, I think I just agree with you. It's just phenomenally good list of films, and like, even if you're not, even if like, like, so I kind of say about Jurassic Park, it's a bit, <clears throat> but it's I will I won't say it's a shit film. I don't think it's a shit film. It is a good film. And it's just, apart from The Lost World, it's a pretty perfect list of films to have. And again, that's just one decade. <laughs> that's and, the thing I'm going to keep coming back to. That's one decade. That's not even his life's work. And even The Lost World isn't a bad film. It's just yeah. different. And it's like you said, it's more jokey. It's more fun. But um, now I've said it, I think I would quite like to see Stephen King's version of Jurassic Park. <laughs> That would be interesting. Anyway, as well as all those films, the director, he did uh, produce a lot of films. So I've chosen a few uh, to speak about. And then obviously you can throw in any that you like as well. So I've got four noted down here. Uh, the first one I've got noted down is Gremlins 2. Uh, yeah. And I think the biggest reason I noted this down is simply because we'll probably never get a chance to speak about it again on Beckerbot. Uh, yeah, probably. We touched uh, on it uh, during the 1990 episode. But Gremlins 2, what are your thoughts on Gremlins 2? Um, I like it much more than Gremlins 1. So I 
I've I said this in a previous episode. I was really old and I thought Gremlins, the first one, was an 18 until I was an adult. Um, it absolutely blew my mind when I found out it wasn't. Absolutely petrified of it. I still don't think I would enjoy watching it. It's too horror for me. I don't see the comedy elements in it. Gremlins 2, they made it much more obvious. This is a this is a comedy horror, almost a kid's horror, Gremlins 2. And I remember I remember this was on ITV. I remember it being on and I remember watching it because everybody at school was going to watch it. And I kind of just was a bit like, oh God, but don't like that first one, but I kind of have to because everyone's going to talk about it tomorrow. I remember watching it and actually being like, no, I'm all right with this because there's enough comedy in it to kind of go, oh, there's more fun stuff to talk about. Like the one that learns how to talk. He's hilarious. Um, And there's just, the only ones I don't like is obviously there's that nasty spider one and that's just, constant um and the one that get i think i said this on the previous that one that gets all zappy and electric it's <laughs> just too out we know we're in control he's a bit too out of control so no, i'm not so keen on that but yeah it's comedy horror the we saying that then about it being more of a kid's film and, and whatnot I reckon that Gremlins and Gremlins 2 is the kids' version of Alien and Aliens. Alien is just like one queen alien <laughs> aboard the spaceship. Gremlins, I think there's four, if I'm rightly. Um, most of it just set in one house. I know they kind of get a little bit towards the end, so it's like understated. And you go to Aliens, and it goes fucking nuts. And you go to Gremlins, and it goes fucking nuts. So, put them in a TV studio and see what happens. It's yeah. it's a bit like Lost World, isn't it? It's like, oh, we're going to stick them in there, and there's lots of different things that can happen. Yeah. It's quite genius. I think that if, if you ever want to induce, introduce your kids to aliens, introduce them to Gremlins first. <laughs> if they don't cope with that. Yeah, don't go aliens and Gremlins. Go Gremlins and aliens. But <laughs> I, I really good film, really good fun, a fun film. Like you said, there is some funny moments in it. There are some scary moments in it, but I feel like it's a good fun film. However, there is one bit that still traumatizes me, even more than the spider, even more than the zappy thing. It's when they start torturing Gizmo. Oh, this is the one where they tie him up and start torturing him. Yeah. However, it's like the ultimate redemption film. Because this is the one where he comes back as Rambo. Yeah. He puts that thing around his head oh, and he yeah. gets the tipex on the pencil and sets it on fire and fires it at that spider that you don't like. Yeah. It's like proper badass gizmo. And even at the end where the, the guy tries to take it off him and the headband off him and he's like, no, keeping this mother. Mm. Um, so, yeah, love that. Um, I completely forgot on that Christopher Lee was in it. Oh, yeah. Which is I, I like one of the kings of horror. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and he was brilliant as well. I think he was playing it a little bit serious, but you know, it's <laughs> a, a real great fun film. And I, I can, I'll try not to spoil it because I'd forgotten how it ended, and I, I rewatched it. It's like, oh yeah, that's really unpleasant to watch. So as much as it's more fun, I still don't think I'd be letting a young kids watch it. No, there is they're really naughty. There's punishment. Yeah. No, I'm not, not advocating traumatising children um, Just do what I said the other day on one of your posts that I just threatened to talk to mine's friends. Yeah. I'll talk to your friends online. 
Yeah. Couple of friends take his Xbox headsets off him once and talk to his friends. Immediately started behaving himself. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Gremlins 2, that was from 1990. Um, anything else on Gremlins 2? That. Okay. And what I wanted to mention, we touched on this previously, Arachnophobia. Yeah. I rewatched this one. This was also from 1990. Uh, and my notes on this are scary as fuck. Watched it before I went to bed. Um, and I spent about three hours in bed before I fell asleep thinking there were spiders crawling all over me. Yeah. I'm glad I rewatched it though, because I kind of had been assuming that it wouldn't hold up. And like 95% of it does. It still stands up and it makes me wonder how the trained spiders <laughs> to do what they do. Um, I know there's a lot of puppeteering going on there, but there's some real ones. It's like, it's really, the story is really interesting. Um, if you haven't seen it and you don't have arachnophobia, then I would suggest giving it a watch. I think it's um, it still stands up, but one of the scary... No, I don't know if it's scary, actually. One of the most disturbing films I've ever watched. Although it does amuse me. Some of the scenes, there's a scene where the giant spider mates with the little spider and they kind of play a bit of romantic music. <laughs> they show them just creeping towards each other and touching Why legs not? for a second. Like, They've got to set the mood as well. Yeah, well, I don't think the spiders are playing the music. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's bought it just, a glass of wine. Yeah, so when, when things take you out of the moment, that was one of them. It's like, oh. Someone but, told me it is supposed to be a comedy. Or were they just duping me to watch it? <laughs> I mean, there's definitely comedy moments in there. I think the other thing is, if you don't have any kind of fear of spiders, you probably would find it funny. Yeah. But if you've got any kind of arachnophobia, then then you it, it isn't that funny. It's you know. I would never yeah. watch it in a million years. I'm. I wouldn't say I'm cured of mine, but mine is a hell of a lot better. And I fear that watching something like that would just send me backwards. Um, so no, not for me. Another film I wanted to mention, uh, I watched this specifically. It's one that uh, old Steven Spielberg produced. Um, I'd never seen it before, and I saw it on the list. I thought I'll check it out. Cape Fear. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never seen it myself. Does never really appear to me, but that's a thriller, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's comedy moments in it, unintentional <laughs> comedy. Again, it's quite disturbing. Basically, um, no, uh, there's no sort of way of putting it around it. Uh, sort of child rapist comes out of prison and decides to stalk his lawyer uh, that oh. failed to get him off at the time. Jesus. Part of this is uh, seducing uh, the lawyer's child. And um, there's a particularly unpleasant scene. It's nothing like um, graphic. Nothing forceful, but the, I'm not going to describe the scene, but there's a scene that's just like, oh, I don't need to see that. That's just, oh, that feels a bit... This sort of thing where normally they'd imply and then pan away, but they actually show a little bit of it. It's like, oh, that's... Oh, kind of made me feel a bit queasy, but either way. Um, it's actually quite a good film in places. Uh, the, the idea where, first, you're not 100% sure he is stalking him, or... Is he just trying to give him a little bit of a, a spook and then disappear? But no, it turns out he's actually stalking. But he's, the end of it is pure comedy because they're on a boat and there's a bit of a flood and it's like the slowest boat scene ever. 
<laughs> where this big like yacht type of thing is just gently flowing about in the water. But then they go inside the yacht and they're being flung around all over. <laughs> and it comes back outside and it's just gentle rocking back and forth. It's comedy. That bit. Right. I all I remember is I know the Simpsons did a parody of it once, and it's when Sparks bunked off school and Skinner is finding and they did this really funny bit where basically he gets over the water, but Skinner goes into the water, you see his head disappear, and he kind of goes, phew, and then his head re-emerges like that. And he like, I'm sure that's a piss take of Cape Fear. I'm sure someone told me that it is. It, it, it's oh, okay. I'm trying to phrase it that small. It sounds similar to something that happens, yeah. so it could well be. Um, but yeah, that, that was a good film. I'm glad I watched it. And this is one of the good things. I've said this a few times recently. It's one of the good things about doing this podcast is it's making me venture back into a film. So I'm glad I watched Kate Fear. I'm glad I watched Saving Private Ryan and Amistad. So yeah, some some interesting films there. And the last one I want to mention specifically before I throw it over to you is uh, Men in Black, yeah. uh, which was produced again by Steven Spielberg, which again, I re-watched in, in, in preparation for this episode. And um, yeah, still as awesome as ever. I, a couple of interesting things I, I found out. Got an Oscar for Best Makeup. Yeah, makes sense. I would have thought it would have been Best Special Effects, but I suppose with a lot of the actors they'll be getting makeup on that ter- when they're turning into aliens i suppose yeah and um sony still claim apparently that the film never turned a profit what exactly oh because it well because it costs so much to make i would imagine so yeah. ah but then did men in black too i bet you that's yeah. where they recoup the money yeah um so yeah again watching the film back i'd not watched it for years just I mean, Tommy Tommy Lee Jones is good, but Will Smith's awesome. Uh-huh. I think everything, almost everything he touches turns to gold. And, um, yeah, he's brilliant in this. And it's just a fun film, funny film. The, the scene I'd forgotten that I really enjoyed watching again was where the alien gives birth in the car. Yeah. And it's big tentacles come out, and it's sort of flinging Will Smith all over. Um, yeah, really fun film. Yeah, and the funny thing that you say about, like, I agree, I, I absolutely adore Will Smith, but there is an interesting fact about Will Smith and his IMDb record, and apparently Will Smith's never been in a film that scores more than, I think, six out of ten on IMDb. He's like a curse, so <laughs> which is such a shame because I think he's a gen- genuinely really good actor. But I think for me... What was exciting, it was still of that era, was like, you get Will Smith in, so Will Smith does the songs, and it's just like, uh, you've got the Men in Black song, which is, I still love, even now, you know, the good guys dressed in black, remember that, just in case we have a face-to-face and make contact. This title held by me, MRB, it's what you think you saw you did not see. <laughs> still know it. Well, there you go, you've gone from Shinner's list <laughs> to, uh, to rapping the Men in Black song. Okay. I told you I'd find some excuse to sing in inverted commas. I'm glad you didn't do it during the Shinners List discussion. <laughs> <laughs> any any other films you want to touch on there? No, because I didn't look any up. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna mention a couple, um, just to see if you've got any thoughts on them, just from the other ones is produced. Uh Back to the Future Free. Overrated. You said that about the entire trilogy, didn't you? Uh, yeah. 
Mm. I'm looking forward to coming on to the 80s when we can speak about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the Flintstones? I, I absolutely love the Flintstones. <laughs> but I, I've said this on a previous episode. Um, I had it I had it on video, so I just think I have a fondness for stuff that I had it on video. I like to thought John Goodman was a very good... Um, a human real life interpretation of the character that is Fred Flintstone on a four. Um, Dan, not Dan Aykroyd, and um, Rick Moranis made an amazing Barney Rubble. And I thought the women in it did that that perfect <laughs> laugh at the I liked it. <laughs> and it's dinosaurs again. Yeah, that's the film you've been most enthusiastic about this entire episode. <laughs> They've got, you've got Hal Berry. As um, Sharon Stone. <laughs> I, it's, you, you flabbergasted me. Oh dear. <laughs> What's amazing, right, is is when I've said to you any other films, it could have been like, yeah, the Flintstones have come on with this epic thing, and then you you look like you're bringing someone to a show. <laughs> no idea he'd got any association with it. Producer, apparently. Casper, uh-huh. um, the friendly ghost. Yeah, again, I I was a bit eh, about this. So I really love, um, and I always get her surname wrong with it, Christina Ritchie or Ricky. I never know. Is it Ritchie? I don't know how to pronounce it. It's R-I-C-I. Yeah. yeah. Um, I adored her as Wednesday because she's so sarcastic and so sort of deadpan. She's not so deadpan in Casper, so um, yeah, they're not that fussed by it, if I'm honest. Okay, uh, I saw this one at cinema. I don't really yeah. remember the Flintstones, but I can remember seeing this one at cinema, and it was all right. I don't think I'd ever want to watch it again, but it was all right. Um, yeah, and then we'll come on to mention one more uh, one that I know that you are a massive fan of, Deep Impact. Uh, no. Okay, uh, that was the joke about you being a fan of Deep Impact because that's the joke we did last time, but whatever. Yeah, well, um, nobody went for my um, hook gets panned joke, so. I find it more funny now you just complained about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool, so that was it for Steven... Oh, no, did it. That was it for Steven Spielberg in the 90s, quite an epic... List of films. Do you want to do you want to add any final thoughts and wrap up the show? Uh I don't want to add any final thoughts. <laughs> do I wrap up the show? Yeah, do you want have you got a final thought? Zari, wasn't it? <laughs> it was all right, it was better than I expected. That's what she said. <laughs> That's my trademark cackle. <laughs> like there it is again. Oh, amazing. Right. Um Right, so that was the week that was Steven Spielberg, uh, where he started off and he hooked us in with a stellar cast of people um, from Robin Williams to Julia Roberts, not forgetting Dustin Hoffman in the title role, and then moved to Dinosaurs and Jurassic Park. His horror, but aimed as a blockbuster that um, was at the PG rating, went into slightly more... I want to say deadpan um, with Shinders this, but looking at historical events and telling stories that needed to be told and doing it beautifully um, in the cinema and rightfully um, getting him his 
Oscar. Um, sticking with um, the war thing, there was also Saving Private Ryan. Before that, he treated us to dinosaurs, but in the city. Um, and then another important story with Amistad. Um, and then a little smidgen of stuff from Gremlins 2. Lots of little scary critters. Men in Black, the aliens. And then yabba dabba with the Flintstone that was Steven Spielberg. Welcome to Decapod, where every couple of weeks we look across uh, what we do across. I'll best do that again, Anna.